The Story, Book the Second, Chapter Two of the Black Robe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Black Robe by Wilkie Collins. The Story, Book the Second, Chapter Two. The Question of Marriage. As Stella answered Lady Loring, she was smartly tapped on the shoulder by an eager guest with a fan. The guest was a very little woman, with twinkling eyes and a perpetual smile. Nature, corrected by powder and paint, was liberally displayed in her arms, her bosom, and the upper part of her back. Such clothes as she wore, defective perhaps in quantity, were in quality absolutely perfect more adorable color shape and workmanship never appeared even in a milliner's picture-book her light hair was dressed with a fringe of ringlets on the pattern which the portraits of the time of charles the second have made familiar to us there was nothing exactly young or exactly old about her except her voice which betrayed a faint hoarseness attributably possibly to exhaustion produced by untold years of incessant talking it might be added that she was as active as a squirrel and as playful as a kitten but the lady must be treated with a certain forbearance of tone for this good reason she was stella's mother stella turned quickly at the tap of the fan mamma she exclaimed how you startle me my dear child said miss eyrecourt you are constitutionally indolent and you want startling go into the next room directly mr romayne is looking for you stella drew back a step and eyed her mother in blank surprise is it possible that you know him she asked mr romayne doesn't go into society or we should have met long since mrs eyrecourt replied he is a striking person and i noticed him when he shook hands with you that was quite enough for me i have just introduced myself to him as your mother he was a little stately and stiff but most charming when he knew who i was i volunteered to find you he was quite astonished i think he took me for your elder sister not the least like each other are we lady loring she takes after her poor dear father he was constitutionally indolent my sweet child rouse yourself you have drawn a prize in a great lottery at last if ever a man was in love mr romayne is that man i am a physiognomist lady loring and i see the passions in the face oh stella what a property vange abbey i once drove that way when i was visiting in the neighborhood superb and another fortune twelve thousand a year and a villa at highgate since the death of his aunt and my daughter may be mistress of this if she only plays her cards properly what a compensation after all that we suffered through that monster winterfield mamma pray don't stella i will not be interrupted when i am speaking to you for your own good i don't know a more provoking person lady loring than my daughter on certain occasions and yet i love her i would go through fire and water for my beautiful child only last week i was at a wedding and i thought of stella the church was crammed to the doors a hundred at the wedding breakfast 
the bride's lace there no language can describe it ten bridesmaids in blue and silver reminded me of the ten virgins only the proportion of foolish ones this time was certainly more than five however they looked well the archbishop proposed the health of the bride and bridegroom so sweetly pathetic some of us cried i thought of my daughter oh if i could live to see stella the central attraction so to speak of such a wedding as that only i would have twelve bridesmaids at least and beat the blue and silver with green and gold trying to the complexion you will say but there are artificial improvements at least i am told so what a house this would be a broad hint isn't it dear lady loring what a house for a wedding with a drawing-room to assemble in and the picture-gallery for the breakfast i know the archbishop my darling he shall marry you why don't you go into the next room ah that constitutional indolence if you only had my energy as i used to say to your poor father will you go yes dear lady loring i should like a glass of champagne and another of those delicious chicken sandwiches if you don't go stella i shall forget every consideration of propriety and big as you are i shall push you out stella yielded to necessity keep her quiet if you can she whispered to lady loring in the moment of silence that followed even mrs eyrecourt was not able to talk while she was drinking champagne in the next room stella found romayne he looked careworn and irritable but brightened directly when she approached him my mother has been speaking to you she said i am afraid he stopped her there she is your mother he interposed kindly don't think that i am ungrateful enough to forget that she took his arm and looked at him with all her heart in her eyes come into a quieter room she whispered romayne led her away neither of them noticed penrose as they left the room he had not moved since stella had spoken to him there he remained in his corner absorbed in thought and not in happy thought as his face would have plainly betrayed to any one who had cared to look at him his eyes sadly followed the retiring figures of stella and romayne the color rose on his haggard cheeks like most men who are accustomed to live alone he had the habit when he was strongly excited of speaking to himself no he said as the unacknowledged lovers disappeared through the door it is an insult to ask me to do it he turned the other way escaped lady loring's notice in the reception-room and left the house romayne and stella passed through the card-room and the chess-room turned into a corridor and entered the conservatory for the first time the place was a solitude the air of a newly invented dance faintly audible through the open windows of the ballroom above had proved an irresistible temptation those who knew the dance were eager to exhibit themselves those who had only heard of it were equally anxious to look on and learn even toward the latter end of the nineteenth century the youths and maidens of society can still be in earnest when the object in view is a new dance what would major hind have said if he had seen romayne turn into one of the recesses of the conservatory in which there was a seat which just held two 
but the major had forgotten his years and his family and he too was one of the spectators in the ballroom i wonder said stella whether you know how i feel those kind words of yours when you spoke of my mother shall i tell you she put her arm round his neck and kissed him he was a man new to love in the nobler sense of the word the exquisite softness in the touch of her lips the delicious fragrance of her breath intoxicated him again and again he returned the kiss she drew back she recovered her self-possession with a suddenness and a certainty incomprehensible to a man from the depths of tenderness she passed to the shallows of frivolity in her own defence she was almost as superficial as her mother in less than a moment what would mr penrose say if he saw you she whispered why do you speak of penrose have you seen him to-night yes looking sadly out of his element poor man i did my best to set him at his ease because i know you like him dear stella no not again i am speaking seriously now mr penrose looked at me with a strange kind of interest i can't describe it have you taken him into your confidence he is so devoted he has such a true interest in me said romayne i really felt ashamed to treat him like a stranger on our journey to london i did own that it was your charming letter which had decided me on returning i did say i must tell her myself how well she has understood me and how deeply i feel her kindness penrose took my hand in his gentle considerate way i understand you too he said and that was all that passed between us nothing more since that time nothing not a word of what we said to each other when we were alone last week in the picture gallery not a word i am self-tormentor enough to distrust myself even now god knows i have concealed nothing from you and yet am i not selfishly thinking of my own happiness stella when i ought to be thinking only of you you know my angel with what a life you must associate yourself if you marry me are you really sure that you have love enough and courage enough to be my wife she rested her head caressingly on his shoulder and looked up at him with her charming smile how many times must i say it she asked before you will believe me once more i have love enough and courage enough to be your wife and i knew it louis the first time i saw you will that confession satisfy your scruples and will you promise never again to doubt yourself or me romayne promised and sealed the promise unresisted this time with a kiss when are we to be married he whispered she lifted her head from his shoulder with a sigh if i am to answer you honestly she replied i must speak of my mother before i speak of myself romayne submitted to the duties of his new position as well as he understood them do you mean that you have told your mother of our engagement he said in that case is it my duty or yours i am very ignorant in these matters to consult her wishes my own idea is that i ought to ask her if she approves of me as her son-in-law and that you might then speak to her of the marriage stella thought of romayne's tastes all in favor of modest retirement and of her mother's tastes all in favor of ostentation and display 
she frankly owned the result produced in her own mind i am afraid to consult my mother about our marriage she said romayne looked astonished do you think mrs eyrecourt will disapprove of it he asked stella was equally astonished on her side disapprove of it she repeated i know for certain that my mother will be delighted then where is the difficulty there was but one way of definitely answering that question stella boldly described her mother's idea of a wedding including the archbishop the twelve bridesmaids in green and gold and the hundred guests at breakfast in lord loring's picture gallery romayne's consternation literally deprived him for the moment of the power of speech to say that he looked at stella as a prisoner in the condemned cell might have looked at the sheriff announcing the morning of his execution would be to do injustice to the prisoner he receives his shock without flinching and in proof of his composure celebrates his wedding with the gallows by a breakfast which he will not live to digest if you think as your mother does romayne began as soon as he had recovered his self-possession no opinion of mine shall stand in the way he could get no further his vivid imagination saw the archbishop and the bridesmaids heard the hundred guests and their dreadful speeches his voice faltered in spite of himself stella eagerly relieved him my darling i don't think as my mother does she interposed tenderly i am sorry to say we have very few sympathies in common marriages as i think ought to be celebrated as privately as possible the near and dear relations present and no one else if there must be rejoicings and banquets and hundreds of invitations let them come when the wedded pair are at home after the honeymoon beginning life in earnest these are odd ideas for a woman to have but they are my ideas for all that romayne's face brightened how few women possess your fine sense and your delicacy of feeling he exclaimed surely your mother must give way when she hears we are both of one mind about our marriage stella knew her mother too well to share the opinion thus expressed mrs eyrecourt's capacity for holding to her own little ideas and for persisting where her social interests were concerned in trying to insinuate those ideas into the minds of other persons was a capacity which no resistance short of absolute brutality could overcome she was perfectly capable of worrying romayne as well as her daughter to the utmost limits of human endurance in the firm conviction that she was bound to convert all heretics of their way of thinking to the orthodox faith in the matter of weddings putting this view of the case with all possible delicacy in speaking of her mother stella expressed herself plainly enough nevertheless to enlighten romayne he made another suggestion can we marry privately he said and tell mrs eyrecourt of it afterward this essentially masculine solution of the difficulty was at once rejected stella was too good a daughter to suffer her mother to be treated with even the appearance of disrespect oh she said think how mortified and distressed my mother would be she must be present at my marriage an idea of a compromise occurred to romayne what do you say he proposed 
to arranging for the marriage privately and then telling mrs eyrecourt only a day or two beforehand when it would be too late to send out invitations if your mother would be disappointed she would be angry stella interposed very well lay all the blame on me besides there might be two other persons present whom i am sure mrs eyrecourt is always glad to meet you don't object to lord and lady loring object they are my dearest friends as well as yours anyone else stella anyone louis whom you like then i say no one else my own love when may it be my lawyers can get the settlements ready in a fortnight or less will you say in a fortnight his arms were round her waist his lips were touching her lovely neck she was not a woman to take refuge in the commonplace coquetries of the sex yes she said softly if you wish it she rose and withdrew herself from him for my sake we must not be here together any longer louis as she spoke the music in the ballroom ceased stella ran out of the conservatory the first person she encountered on returning to the reception room was father benwell End of chapter 2 Read by Lars Rolander